Hey everyone, I am thrilled because we're back with another episode of Shining in the Gray. It has been a while, but I promise that you guys will be thrilled to listen in on this conversation that I had with Pega Kedkodian. Um, she is currently finishing up all the requirements to become an IEA, that's International Enneagram Association accredited teacher. And let me just tell you that is no small feat. So it is um, a huge pleasure of mine to introduce you guys if you don't already know her and um, to have her teach about the inner dynamics. So this conversation isn't necessarily for um, new Enneagrammers, but for those of you who have been um, exploring the Enneagram and taking workshops and digging deeper, um, I think that you'll find some of this um, familiar in that we often, you know, touch on this stuff, but she's going to give you a solid hour of just digging into what inner dynamics are, what it um, looks like. And she's amazing at sharing examples from her own uh, life and her, from herself and her type. So uh, without further ado, Pega, so tell me, what is it that you do? I'm a radical I mean, technically I'm a, I'm a resilience coach. I do healing work with people individually and in small groups. I work primarily with women who are going through um, really difficult times as a result of big loss. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also work with couples and um, the primary use for the Enneagram for me is inside of that one-on-one -on -one work um, and now moving into the diversity, equity, and inclusion space with organizations as a consultant. Um, and so really it's a tool that I utilize in a variety of ways. Um, but yes, you can certainly also call me an Enneagram teacher. Uh, so coach, facilitator, consultant, Enneagram teacher. I'll do it all. You know. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, then that's what we'll do. And I might even just use you describing yourself as the. Okay. <laughs> cool. um, okay. okay. So we'll be starting. All right, Pega. So what is the importance of inner dynamics? Like we know about the Enneagram, we know our type, um, we know our wings, but what is this inner dynamic thing? Like, should we be paying attention to the arrows? Like what, what's up with that? And like, can you shed some light on what it means? Absolutely. I, so I will tell you that when I was learning the Enneagram, and I've been studying it for several years. You know, my own, my initial understanding of these arrow lines was as it is for so many people, which is to say, you know, there's a lot out there about, well, when I'm healthy, I go to this point. When I'm unhealthy, I go to that point. Or you might've even heard it said, when I go to my stress point, it's this and it's bad. But if I'm in my security point, it's this and it's good. And it's a really simplistic way of looking at the inner dynamics. Now, I'm also coming from the Riso Hudson slant, which really talks a lot about the levels of development. So I really wanna make sure that we're also bearing that in mind as we have this conversation about the inner dynamics because where and how your inner dynamics or your arrow lines express themselves has a lot to do with the level of health that you happen to be at um, in terms of you know, where you are on that Riso Hudson scale of, you know, just individual 
health, right? So are you in a healthy place? Are you in a healthy state? Uh, are you accessing most of your resources or have you disintegrated? I don't really like to use that word, but let's just say, um, has there been something in life that's now resulted in you descending down into lower levels of health? And we could even say lower levels of consciousness if you want. Um, so just want to make sure that we keep that in mind as we're exploring this conversation. So I will explain the inner dynamics to you from my perspective as an Enneagram eight. So my point sits at eight. And so my arrow lines are to five and two. So as a body type, um, it's kind of cool to have an arrow line that takes me to a head type and an arrow line that takes me to, uh, the heart center. Um, so you know, what I got from the inner dynamics was really that we are such complex and wonderful beings. And that even though we refer to the arrow lines as your stress point or your security point, which is my preferred um, labeling, if you will, of those points, that both can be really advantageous if you are aware of what's happening. So, you know, the big key here, of course, is presence and inner awareness. So am I aware of what's happening to me? And so I find that in the work I do one-on-one -on -one with people or even in teaching this, that it starts with an understanding of the way that your arrow lines express themselves. So for example, the Enneagram five or that point and personality type five has a particular way that it shows up in the world. And your arrow lines don't necessarily mean that you suddenly have turned into that type, not at all, because you're still motivated by whatever your core motivation or your core fear is based on your personality type. It's just that when you are in a stress point, you tend to exhibit behaviors that look like that point on the Enneagram. So for me, that's the Enneagram five. So what it can look like for me uh, in a stress point, and this is like, you know, something has happened in my life that's created stress, and uh, this is a coping mechanism. So in an effort not to descend in the levels of health, what the psyche will do is go to this stress point. And so for me, as an eight going to five, what that looks like is all of a sudden, I'm not so out there with my energy. I retreat, I pull all of that in, I get very introspective, I will likely reclude and remove myself from social settings or interactions with other people. I will tend to go up into my head space as the case may be with a five being the head center and I will begin to analyze. Now, I'm not doing it for the same reason that a five would get analytical or choose to acquire more and more knowledge and information. The driving force for me as an eight is the same. I want to get back into control, right? So the core motivation for an eight is control. The core fear is being harmed and or controlled. And so my going up into the headspace and becoming super analytical and wanting to gather more information and collect knowledge really has to do with how can I regain a sense of feeling in control? So I will go to that space. Now it's not all bad, right? You could look at it as in a moment of stress in my life, I'm going to that room and I'm going into that five space. I can choose 
to take advantage of what goes on there and access the high side of five, which we'll talk about in a minute is the quote unquote missing piece, Mm -hmm. right? Where if I am aware that I'm in that space, rather than accessing that low side of five, where I'm going to just consume information, get overly analytical, overly think things and let my mind sort of take over, what I can do is access the high side of five and work toward accessing a higher mind by figuring out how I can quiet that monkey mind, where and how can I settle and use the mind in a positive way. So not to overanalyze, but to find that higher mind, which is the virtue of the five and access higher wisdom, higher levels of consciousness and awareness. And so when I notice myself going into that five space where now all of a sudden I'm ruminating, I might be journaling a lot. I might find myself like going out there and trying to read every single thing I can about whatever this stress thing is that's happened in my life. Maybe I'm even going to have some overly analytical conversations with certain people that are, that I'm, you know, that I trust a great deal. Um, But mostly I'm going to reclude. I'm just going to like pull inward and not want to talk to anybody, which is a very sort of five behavior, right? And how much of the low side of five I will access when I go to the stress point really has to do with what's my current level of health, Mm. you know, because what I will access is that same level of health in terms of what the behaviors look like for the five. So that's the stress point, but it's a really beautiful thing if you look at it that way, because it can be something that can help you find your way out, right? So there you are at the stress point. You can access the higher mind, access the virtue of the point there at your stress point. And in so doing, make your way out and potentially move you closer and closer to the virtue, right? Move you out of that. And rather than, you know, trying to regain control, It's about, you know, letting that stress point and that accessing of the high side of that stress point bring you closer to your own virtue or the higher side of your own personality type. So for the eight, that's a magnanimous heart, generosity of spirit, you know, being out there as a social justice warrior kind of thing and and taking the lead, right? So being out there and and, and being on the the leading edge of, of being in service, right? Which brings me to the security point. But before I get go there, I just want to pause because I'll just keep talking. <laughs> but I want to pause and let there be some dialogue or discussion or Q&A about just that, the stress point. So I wonder if someone, um, you know, coming into this with like a beginner's mind, when you talk about um, like developing awareness for um, these things and these behaviors or um like in your case, you were talking about retreating um, like a five and um, trying to acquire knowledge. How would someone from a different type or just any type, you know, really it could also be an eight, but how can we develop that inner awareness so that we even realize what's going on? That's such a great question. I'd say first thing would be to familiarize yourself with the behavioral elements of your arrow lines, right? So 
if you are, you know, for example, you being a seven, Mm -hmm. right? So what does it look like? Uh, What does a one look like, right? What are the behaviors of a one? So that when you find yourself going to that one space, what does that look like for you? And it's going to be individual, but getting familiar at least with what the, what that point on the Enneagram looks like and how it expresses itself typically. And the same, you know, for you as going to five, right, which is your security point. So I would say the first step would be to just get familiar with these different points on the Enneagram. Certainly, you know, start off by just getting familiar with the whole of the Enneagram, reading about it. And there's a lot of people who have a lot of questions and confusion about what's my type and do I take an assessment or how do I figure out what my type is? And I will say to you from personal experience, the best way to do it is not to necessarily rely solely on an assessment. Uh, The best way to do it is really to read and ask yourself, which one of these types really resonates with me, not from a behavior perspective, but from a core motivation perspective, right? So that's where a lot of mistyping happens. People start to look at behaviors and think, oh, that's me. And I really want to clarify too, no one is their Enneagram type, right? Mm-hmm. The Enneagram, your point on the, on, the, on the Enneagram is meant to be a way to free yourself from the constructs of your personality, of your ego, right? So it's a, it's a roadmap out, mm-hmm. if you will. So, you know, first things first is get familiar with all of the types, read about it, listen to podcasts, you know, listen to reliable teachers out there. There's a lot of people teaching the Enneagram. And um, my recommendation would be to really be discerning about who it is that you choose to study with. Um, the way that I found my type, honestly, was I was at a retreat and I was having a dialogue with someone who is a, a sexual Enneagram type eight and or whose personality sits at that point. And so it's kind of like listening to panels, right? So that's the other way is it's really useful to listen and, and see what resonates with you as you're listening to or participating in panel discussions. Um, so get familiar with the whole of the Enneagram. And then once you've landed on what that point is for you, begin to look at the arrow lines and familiarize yourself with those points and what those behaviors look like. And then, you know, what it really boils down to is the commitment to and the willingness to slow yourself down, Mm -hmm. right? And to notice what you notice is a a phrase that my mentor um, often uses. So what are you noticing when you are experiencing stress? Are you even aware that you're experiencing stress? For so many people, there's such a knee-jerk reaction and sort of a reactivity in being in the world that there isn't the, that sense of slowing down enough to say, hmm, okay, yeah, I notice that I'm really activated right now. I'm feeling some emotions. And I'm at a stress point. And then to begin to notice what do your behaviors look like when you are stressed? You know, and again, bearing in mind that it's going to be really dependent on your level of health. But what does it look like when you get stressed? You know, I'll share a personal story that I uh, was mistyped as a three and a four. Um, 
Yeah, interestingly enough. And it's because there was so much focus on the behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, threes, that point on the Enneagram is an assertive type. It's also a, a doer. And I'm an assertive type and a doer. Um, fours uh, tend to be more reflective. They tend to have a reputation for, um, you know, moving into sort of that um, morose emotional space sometimes and kind of wanting to go inward. And I also happen to be a, an actor, right, in the, my former life. So I'm a creative. And so there was this like, oh, well, she must be a sexual four because sexual fours also look a lot like sexual eights mm -hmm. in terms of the anger component. And the truth of it was, I wasn't any of those things. What was happening was I was at a stress point. And so I was going to my five space and in that space of retreating and analyzing, it resembled what a four might look like in behavior, but it had nothing to do with the core motivation. And that's what it boils down to again is if we had looked a little bit further, the core motivation for me was not that of what a four's core motivation is. It was about retreating and trying to lick my wounds, figure out in my head, how do I get myself back into a place of feeling like I'm more in control? Now I wasn't in a particularly healthy space. So it was about regaining control and less about, oh, how can I access the higher side of my Enneagram point, <laughs> you know? But, you know, the happy accident is in doing your inner work, right? You do develop that sense of inner awareness. So what are some practices you can do? Just notice what you notice, slow yourself down, be willing to pause before you react um, and really just kind of ask yourself, what am I experiencing here? What's this emotion if I could name it? is this stress? And then be willing to look at what are the behaviors that occur when you experience that outside stress or even inside stress, right? Because it's like it can, it can be self-initiated. I hope that helps. I think it does a ton, actually. And I hope people are taking notes because there's so many nuggets of wisdom in there. Um, and also, as you talk about the levels of health for people who are um, not familiar with levels of health, um, would, would you say that the quote unquote, um, like healthier that you become, you know, you talked about activation. Would, would you say that that would be the same as like reaction being very reactive to what's going on? Um, and so if so, does that mean that the healthier we get, the less reactive or the less activated we become well, in life this. situations? I think it, de it depends on the type we're talking about, right? Because each type <laughs> expresses itself a little differently. Me as an Enneagram eight or, you know, as with that point, um, I will likely be a bit more reactive, right? If I'm at a lower level of health versus uh, a type on the Enneagram whose tendency might be to withdraw, and reclude. There wouldn't necessarily yeah. be that level of reactivity. What you might see, for example, in an Enneagram nine is checking out at a stress point, right? So it's like, whoop, I've just checked out. I've left the building because that core motivation is about maintaining their inner peace and their inner harmony at any cost. So they're not going to engage and move toward the thing like an eight might. They're going to withdraw. And so 
I wouldn't say necessarily that that reactivity has to do solely with your level of health. Certainly it contributes if your Enneagram type is one that would be reactive, right? Um, but a nine, for example, might not seem reactive at all and would check out a five, might not necessarily seem reactive at all. They might withdraw, go within, and um, and then, you know, the expression of what that would look like would be very different. Um, and, that would my, my, and that would be the case as well with a four, typically, right? These are kind of the people who tend to withdraw a little bit, but it depends. I suppose if you're a sexual four, that would look different. (laughs) It does. So those subtypes, man, those hairy subtypes get in there and, and they do also add another level of uh, beautiful complexity. So what we mean by subtypes, of course, is like your instinct, right? Are you social, sexual, or uh, self-preservation? And you know, not enough time to necessarily get into the ins and outs of all of that. But yeah, it's all going to look very unique and different based on uh, the type, right? So what's, what's the point? What's the subtype or the instinct? And then what's the level of health for that individual? So there's just a lot of play. There's so much working on. And I think that it's so, it's so neat that it is called the inner dynamics because what is dynamism, but, you know, change and movement and, um, And so going, going back to the stress point and the security point, um, are we always in flux with these two points or do we kind of just stick around in one and then we go up to the other one or like, how does, how does that movement work? Well, you know, we're dynamic beings as humans, right? And there's, and there's just, we're, if there's anything constant is that we're always changing and in a state of flux. Um, so, you know, before we get into too much of that, let's talk a little bit about this security point, because again, there's a lot of misconceptions out there that the security point is good and the stress point is bad. And what, what I'm offering is that actually being able to access both is positive. So you can make use of your stress point when you go there and your security point isn't always good. And by that, I don't mean good or bad. It's not always going to express itself in sort of altruistic, wonderful ways. Right. Mm. So when we are developing, you know, what can happen is actually we begin to go to our security point at about the level of health that we're at. Mm. So when we experience stress, we might go to the stress point and then we might find our way out of the stress point But what can happen is then we can, and only with the people that we trust and we feel really safe around with sort of that inner um, circle of people that we're okay with, we can begin to exhibit what we would call the shadow side of the security point. And it's a necessary part of human development. So if you know anything about Jungian psychology, and I won't get into that too uh, extensively, but there's this whole process called the individuation process, mm-hmm. which is, you know, another name for self-actualization, which is another name for, you know, being able to access spiritual enlightenment, if you will. And so there's a necessary step along the path for all of us, which is shadow integration. So not only do we need to integrate the shadow side of our own personality type, right? But then there's this interesting that thing that happens when we're 
in a point of stress is that we can go to the security point with the people that we're closest to and there is an expression or a shadow expression of that point. And what that can look like, for example, as an Enneagram eight going to two is all of a sudden the behaviors will resemble what an unhealthy two might look like, right? Which is to say a sense of neediness or clinginess, um, a sense of feeling victimized by the world, you know, a sense of feeling underappreciated and wanting to have, you know, acknowledgement and, um, you know, just all of the things that look like an unhealthy two. And so what do we do with that? Well, there's a, a recognition, first of all, that that's going on, right? And this, again, all comes down to, are we aware of what's going on? Yeah, because inherent in the name, right, or inherent in the way we, we um, describe the terminology of it being a shadow is that it's kind of a blind spot to us. We may not be aware that it's happening. So we might be exhibiting things again as an Enneagram eight, like the need to be needed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a feeling of self-importance. Um, again, based on the level of health that you're at, where you're going to that security point, right? And then um, seeking that sense of like contact and connection with someone, but really only with those who you feel most comfortable with, right? Otherwise you're going to stay in that five space if it's with the general world. Mm -hmm. And so what the opportunity is there is again, through presence and self-awareness and the willingness to slow down and examine what's happening is to recognize, oh, wow. Okay. I am in my shadow, right? Here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm stressed. And there's this exhibit of the shadow side of my security point. What's the opportunity? Mm -hmm. The opportunity is to begin to integrate those attributes and those aspects. So you do this with a lot of loving kindness and compassion. So a lot of self-forgiveness, right? So this is not meant to be a tool for self-flagellation or, um, you know, just another way to look at how you might be quote unquote failing at life. As a matter of fact, it's, it's the roadmap for you to find your way out of the dark and back into alignment with who you really are. So as an Enneagram eight, for example, if I'm going to that space and I'm recognizing that that's what's happening, or I have, you know, lovely, coaches or practitioners highlighting or holding up a mirror for me that shows me that that's what's going on. And I will say this, when we're in that space, it's harder to see. It's harder just through pure self-awareness to know what's going on. It really can be helpful and often is to have that outside um, check, right? And to have that outside perspective or resource or mental health professional to help you help guide that integration process and out of that shadow space. But the beauty is that that pathway out of the low side of that security point is to begin to access the high side of that security point, which in many traditions is the way to the types of virtue, Mm. right? So if we look at the Enneagram eight and the virtue of the eight being innocence, that pathway through the two shadow side 
and up to the high side of two, which is all about service and all about um, giving, you know, for an eight to be able to go to that is how an eight can access that virtue of innocence and be able to be in the heart space, right? Which is where that virtue of innocence becomes possible. So the inner dynamics are, in my estimation, just one of the most effective tools for us as individuals on either a personal growth path, a leadership path, or a spiritual path for guiding ourselves and other people through their development and through to their more essential nature, right? Their essence, which has nothing to do with the ego constructs or the personalities or their Enneagram type, but what we could say is really the heart of who they are. I love this all so much. And uh, what, when in um, our Enneagram journey, would you say that um, we could really start digging into this? Is this um, something that you would say for like, is this Enneagram 101 or is this once you're kind of feeling more comfortable with having identified your type uh, or your dominant type that is, and, um, feeling a bit more settled in understanding your coping mechanisms and your defense mechanisms and all of that. And then, and then working up to this place of starting to become aware of the inner dynamics, or can we kind of start picking at it from the beginning? You know, I think that's a a great question and it really has to do with the individual and where they're at on their path. Mm -hmm. You know, I think for some people, it might be more of a a slow grow, right? So I'm just going to spend some time getting to know what the heck this Enneagram thing is. Where does my personality sit on this um, mysterious, you know, uh, diagram? What does that look like for me? What do my wings how do my wings express themselves and how does that influence me? You know, and I would say, and I would actually encourage rather than trying to accelerate your way through the Enneagram journey, let it be something that is a lifelong path. I mean, that's really what it is, right? So we are all on a path. And if you have found the Enneagram and have any interest in it at all, it is an indication on some level or another that there is an interest there in waking up. Um, And what I mean by that is many of us walk around in a sort of stupor and a sleep, right? Kind of a trance through life. And there is just very little self-awareness or awareness of other, or even just how the personality um, impacts our lives and the lives of other people. But the more and more we take an interest in something like the Enneagram, the more opportunity we have to wake up. Well, if you've ever woken up in the morning and we all have, right. And you're just (laughs) a little bit groggy and you know, you're just kind of starting to come into the world a little bit. You're not necessarily, well, at least I wouldn't find that it would be advisable to like open your eyes, jump out of the bed and go run a marathon, right? right? You would ease into it. You would, you know, take a little time to wake the body up and stretch a little bit and let the mind come online and then check in with how you're feeling. And, you know, and then you might get yourself out of bed and, 
slowly ease your way into whatever it is that you were going to do that day. And even if you were going to choose to run a marathon, you would warm up, you would take your time. There would be a whole training that would lead up to that uh, event, right? So it's just a metaphor for how we want to approach any personal development or spiritual work, but certainly with that of the Enneagram, you know, it's gotten so popularized in recent years and it's become, um, in some cases, a, a party trick, right? It's just, you know, here's your type and now I know the Enneagram, so I'm going to go around typing people and that is not what it's intended for, you know? I mean, is it nice that it's uh, come into the mainstream so much more than, you know, what it was? Certainly. Um, it's great for there to be this level of exposure and my hope is that people will approach it with a great deal more reverence mm -hmm. than just, you know, Instagram or Facebook memes, yep. right? So rather than just looking at it as, oh, this is just some pop culture flash in the pan kind of thing that I can play with, or just another personality typing system like the Myers-Briggs or the DISC, it goes so much deeper than that. Its origins run so much deeper than that. It, it has a uh, you know, a history, albeit a bit mysterious, um, that goes back several thousands of years, you know, in terms of where and how this symbol has been seen inside of a number of wisdom traditions and uh, ancient cultures. So my hope is that as people are approaching this work, that they do so with a sense of reverence, um, uh, a deep respect for it, and um, a lot of self-compassion and patience right? This is not something that you're going to just learn and integrate in a weekend, right? So if you're seeking a teacher who's just taken like a weekend training mm -hmm. and now is calling them an Enneagram teacher, I would caution you and tell you to take a minute and rethink that. Or a right? teacher who's never even been trained. <laughs> exactly. I read an Enneagram book and now all of a sudden I'm the world's leading expert on the Enneagram. It's like, oh, yeah. And there's no. many out there. And I think, and, and actually now, um, you know, breaking slightly from this, ask, ask the person that you want to learn from yeah. who their teachers are and what certifications they have or what accreditations they have. Um, because oftentimes you're going to be, um, sharing a lot of really vulnerable information, um, yeah. with someone who may or may not have, the maturity and the understanding, the expertise and the sensitivity um, to really help guide you through this work. Um, so that, that was, that's my teensy soapbox for a second. <laughs> I, I love it. And I, I would, I would even add to your beautiful soapbox moment there and, and ask how long mm. have they been studying the Enneagram? You know, I am so fortunate that I got to you know, got to meet and study with my mentor, uh, Dr. Deborah Egerton, mm -hmm. who, you know, approaches this work with such uh, reverence. And of course, she comes from the Riso Hudson um, world. Originally, she's done so many other trainings subsequently thereafter. Um, but one thing that she taught me that I've taken very seriously is that there's a time to be a student with the mm -hmm. Enneagram you know, and that there is a time, uh, you know, it takes a level of maturity, a certain amount of time to really integrate, whether you've done one training or 10. Mm -hmm. um, and so to really be mindful that whomever it is that you're choosing to study with has been 
in the place of being a student for several years yeah. before they choose to call themselves an Enneagram teacher, you know? Um, so I think any teacher worth their, uh, salt, if you will, is, is, uh, is someone who has approached, um, this work with that level of reverence and has committed to being a student for, for years before putting on the teacher hat. And I would also say continues to do the work and continues to do the self-inquiry and continues to study. And, you know, that's why, um, I would call, you know, Deborah, my mentor, because she is a, a, a model of that, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, despite being in the field for well over 25 years, um, despite having a PhD, despite, you know, being uh, a student and teacher of the Enneagram for several years, being a psychotherapist, she is still taking certifications. She is still going to retreats, right? And that to me is the sign of, of someone you want to work with and someone you want to study with because they're walking their talk. Yeah, that is so helpful. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in this world of like Instagram meme culture and pop, like personality or influencer popularity, all that stuff that's kind of really drawing people into the Enneagram. And you touched on the fact that you know, there is a, a, um, a good thing to that in that it is becoming mainstream and more people are becoming more aware of the Enneagram and its potential for like spiritual growth. And I, I can't highlight that enough that this is a truly a spiritual journey. Um, and, and of course my sevenness shows up. I really think it's a spiritual adventure. Like I think it's, yeah, you know, it really is. There's highs and lows and there's man, there's plateaus along this inner work path, you know, how would you encourage someone who has, you know, kind of dabbled in the Enneagram, they know their type, but they, they're not really sure where to go from here because it just seems like it's a bunch of memes and a bunch of, um, you know, quick, how I respond to the world (laughs) on a bad day. Um, you know, like Instagram post, like, where do we go from here and how do we start to really, uh, apply the Enneagram into our lives? Such a good question. Um, you know, the first thing I would say is do your homework. You know, if you're starting down this path and you've, uh, had some exposure to it and you're interested, you know, do your homework. So start by reading a book. Um, and there are several wonderful books out there. Um, if you're more of an experiential person, you know, hop on a a workshop with, with a renowned teacher. They're out there. There's so many, um, the IEA, the, the uh, international Enneagram association is a wonderful resource for, workshops and classes and certifications. Um, Would I recommend you jump right away into a certification? No, I'd say start slow, Um, you know, read a book, maybe take a workshop, attend a retreat um, and just start exploring. The other thing would be to work with a qualified professional one-on-one, you know, it's a really impactful thing. Of course, there are therapists out there who use the Enneagram, coaches out there who use the Enneagram. There are 
people who would just identify themselves as Enneagram practitioners who, whose sole purpose is really just helping you identify your type and, and work with the Enneagram to help you grow. These are not people who are therapists or coaches, but they are Enneagram practitioners. Um, there are so many wonderful resources out there if this is a path you want to go down. So I would say that's where we go. And then how you begin to apply these things to your life is in doing the inquiry, you know, be it academic or just uh, experiential, um, you begin to ask yourself, how can I apply these things to my life, right? So the personality is what it is. We all have one. We're never going to get rid of it. Uh, you know, even in the spiritual uh, community, um, to try and say that you could get rid of your ego is absolute malarkey, right? Um, you can't get rid of your ego. It's a part of how you're built. So what do we do with that? It's not about getting rid of your ego. It's about learning how to work with it, how to befriend it, how to integrate it into your life. Um, so it begins with a commitment to presence, right? It begins with a commitment to presence by way of slowing yourself down, noticing what you notice. And then as you learn and experience and read and continue to expand your knowledge, um, don't make it shelf help, right? Make it self help by applying it. Begin to ask yourself, okay, if I notice that I'm activated and I'm beginning to act from my core fear, right? The core fear of my type. And I am really in a space of fear-based, ego-based behavior. How can I slow myself down and choose again? Mm, that, that is helpful. Um, now, where can people find you? Because <laughs> places. <laughs> okay. So, tell us, tell us everywhere to find you because I want people to know you and to interact with you and connect with you. Thank you. I'm so grateful. Um, so, uh, I'm on Instagram, uh, and how you can find me there is it's my first name, Pega K and then underscore radical resilience. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, you know, the Facebook URL is just you know, the beginning of the Facebook URL forward slash coach Pega. And then my website is really easy. It's just coachpega.com and Pega is spelled P E G A H. Um, so you can certainly find me there. I am listed, uh, as a coach with the IEA. So if you happen to go to the, uh, IEA or, uh, which is stands for the International Enneagram Association website, and you're looking for a practitioner, you can find me there. Um, you know, working on becoming an accredited uh, member, but so far I am a professional member. So I'm pretty close to my accreditation. It's a lot, as you know. So um, you can find me there. Um, you know, you can email me. There's Everywhere. so many ways. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You are the best. And I'm so grateful that you came onto the podcast and that you me. shared your amazing wisdom and all your knowledge with us. And please find Pega online. You will not be sorry. She's mm -hmm. the best. And I'm Aww. grateful. I'm so grateful. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Vanessa. And, um, yeah, you're pretty oh. awesome yourself. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs>